I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome. I was say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. I am a Valiant Sports Editor of the Independent. And it is late on Saturday, uh, 23rd of June, which means it's another edition of the World Cup Daily podcast. And it's been quite the day of football uh, here in Russia, um, but I'm not qualified, of course, to speak to you on my own about this. Um, so thus, I have with me Miguel Delaney, Chief of Right the, the Independent. Miguel, say hello. Hello. Well said. Um, quite a day in the end. Uh, you and I were at Belgium-Tunisia earlier on, which yeah. was... How would you say that? It, it was kind of every bit we expected, but also I actually think Belgium brought a little bit more than what we had thought. Uh, Belgium were written apart. Um, it was, I suppose... I mean, the, the one thing about England's performance, it's been debated a bit about the fact that they had the first 30, 30 minutes, they were so good, and then the second half an hour, whereas Belgium slightly blew that away. But there's an extra context there, because I think... Tunisia suffered stage fright in both games. And they were better attacking in this game and exposed a little bit of Belgium defensive errors that they didn't expose with, uh, with England. Um, but Belgium's attacking play was obviously much better because they have Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. Well, that's helpful. Um, let's be honest. I thought... I thought... I think every, every what you call elite team, and there's probably about six or seven, maybe five or six at this tournament... You'd say that they played better in their second game than they have in their first. Yeah. And Belgium won their first 3-0. So this was 5-2. And the goal difference really doesn't speak to the utter dominance that we saw today. Um, Having having a front three of Hazard, Lukaku and Mertens is terrifying. Mm. Having De Bruyne as your your deepest lying midfielder is fundamentally a, an incredibly scary thing. I think, you know, I went in there today looking and from an England point of view because that's England's next game after Panama. And you're looking at where are the weak points, where are the flaws, where are the chinks in the armour? And there really aren't many. No. And I think on paper you look at it and you say Dedrick Boyata plays for Celtic, um, didn't make the grade at Manchester City, and you say, OK... Boyata might be the guy, and Tunisia had a little bit of joy over his head. And then you might look at and say, well, Yannick Ferreira Carrasco, who's a very good forward and attacking player. Well, actually, what was amazing there was um, Roberto Martinez, uh, his description of uh, Carrasco and Witzel that they play in China, they have evolved on a human level. Like, come on, Roberto. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Carrasco is an attacking player. Like, Diego Simeone didn't even trust him defensively to play on the left or right of a 4-4-2. He played him as a forward. Um, and Diego Simeone is probably the best defensive coach on the planet. Roberto Martinez might be the opposite of the best defensive coach on the planet. Um, and he's playing Ferreira Carrasco at left wing back. 
So I think um, England should obviously target behind Ferreira Carrasco. I think it's it's a clear and and, and obvious idea. Um, Tunisia rarely really raided into the zones that you think you could expose Belgium in, and and, and even less so overloaded those zones, which is what England must ha- England have to do that, and and that's why I think. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about whether Sterling or Rashford plays alongside Kane. I don't think it matters as long as no. they're willing to drift into the wide areas. Yeah, I agree. You have to pull Jan Vertonghen out into the area behind Ferreira Carrasco. Ferreira Carrasco naturally will not be tracking back down that left flank. So if you can pull Vertonghen out of his most natural yeah. position on the left side of that back three, then it allows areas for... Lingard, I think Ali, it sounds like he won't play. Um, he injured. And, and Loftus-Cheek is, is potentially going to come in there. But uh, to be honest, um, the best people to speak about England are Jonathan Liu and Jack Pitbrook, who have arrived in roasting hot Nizhny Novgorod. So let's pass it over to uh, those two in Nizhny. And then when we come back, we can go over Saturday's action. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, hello and welcome, or should I say welcome back to the lovely Nizhny Novgorod, uh, where England are going to play their second Group G, Group H game tomorrow. It's uh, it's pretty hot. I think the heat might be a factor tomorrow um, as they play Panama. Uh, Jack, we should probably start on this um, this team sheet nonsense. Gareth Southgate uh, in this evening's press conference has, has kind of offered a half apology uh, what do you think the state of play is at the moment? I think I think it's probably over as a as an issue. Short of, oh wow, sorry, South Korea just scored a brilliant goal. Hyungmin Son. Sorry. Um so you we're we we got this game on Russian TV in our flat at the moment and he I mean, by the time you hear this you will have seen the goal. But he's just scored a brilliant left foot to goal from about twenty five yards. Uh but I presumably it will be too late for South Korea. Um, anyway, back to England. Um, yeah, I'd like to think that Southgate's climb down in the press conference today means that this will be over as an issue. I mean, of course it won't be over because there'll be really bad jokes tweeted about it by journalists until we all die. But um, I think that like the kind of brief sort of Southgate versus the media uh, framing is probably done now because of what Southgate said. I mean, I, it's an interesting one. I, I mean, it's... 
it's maybe not an interesting story to everyone. I think it touches on quite a lot of interesting topics, uh, namely the role of the media, uh, relationships between football journalists and the England team. And some actually interesting topics. <laughs> yeah, and, and some actually interesting topics. Um, and, you know, it, it's blown up on Twitter, obviously, in the last two days because... And, you know, I, I don't count myself out of this. Journalists like nothing better than to tweet about journalism. Uh, and, you know, you, you see that in all facets of journalism, even outside of the World Cup. Um, but I, I do think that Southgate, having made that small climb down, you've already seen in reaction to what Southgate said, the kind of praise has been coming in from some of the other guys who cover England. Uh, and in, if, if anything, having done that, I think will probably increase his goodwill and credit that he has with with the media, um, which was pretty pretty high anyway. Johnny, what do you think about it? I couldn't honestly give the tiniest shit. Um, should we talk about the, um, like, I mean, what, like, quite apart from the team sheet itself, the names that are actually going to be, going to be on it, I guess uh, it's looking unlikely that Deli Alley's going to play. Um, it, it's possible that Ruben Loftus-Cheek get a start. Um, I, th- I know that um, I know that you, Ed, and, and, and you, Miguel, if you're there, um, uh, are quite big fans of, of putting Loftus Cheek in for the second game. Uh, personally, I, I, I don't know. I I think he's a good impact sub. Um, and you've started Delph instead. Well, if 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 Delhi Ali can't play, then he then no. I, I think I'd probably have Loftus Cheek over Delph, uh, but I think it it's it's. A little bit, um, it's a little bit of a stretch to to say that he's he's now kind of ahead of Delhi Ali in a, in a pecking order. I think um, he's he's shown some good flashes for England. He's played good half hours. Um, whether he's you know ready to play ninety minutes in a World Cup, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Jack, uh, any any kind of issues with, with, with the team? You know, Loftus Cheek or, or any other any, uh, any other positions? Um, I think Loftus Cheek is. I think Loftus Cheek for me is the only is the only choice in that role because. And I do think he'll be really good. Like he's, he's a very different player from. I mean, some, there's some similarities to Deli Ali, but I think he's very different in the sense that Deli Ali is is quick, aggressive. He's someone who flourishes on space, quick transitions, like darting into the box, into the right, into the right place. Whereas Loftus Cheek is, he's probably a bit, he's a bit slower in his play, but he's got incredible close control. He's able to take the ball in very tight spaces. He's got a bit of a kind... Of, I was speaking to a, a coach who I know the other day about him. And he said he's, a, he's kind of the closest that England's produced to a Moussa Dembele in terms of his, that kind of close touch with a very big frame, his ability to kind of wriggle past opponents, take the ball on the turn, uh, pick a clever pass. So I think he's good. I think like the more, the more contested issue is Sterling versus Rashford. Mm. Um, Personally, I would have stuck with Sterling. I don't think it makes sense to drop. I mean, if you think he's in our best team, which I think the, you know that is the implication of starting him against Tunisia, I don't think it really makes sense to drop him after a performance which was, I think, more good than bad. Like he obviously obviously screwed up that chance early on against Tunisia, where Lingard pulled it back, I think. But you know, he he gives you something different, and also I think he's a perfect guy to play against Panama because space will be so constricted you need someone who can kind of wriggle through those those small holes you know take people on provoke something and I, I think he would be a better pick than Rashford for me I think the reasoning behind picking Rashford over Sterling basically comes down to finishing uh, and if it is a tight game if it is sort of uh, nil nil after after an hour or seventy minutes, and you get that chance, whether it's just outside the eighteen yard box or whether whether it's you know five or six yards out, you would probably rather Rashford was on on the end of that chance than Sterling. 
that's what I think the reasoning would be. That's not necessarily to say I, I, I would agree with it because, because as, as Jack said, space is going to be at a, at a real premium. We all know that Panama are going to be quite a physical team. Uh, that they're you know they're going to sit deep. They're not going to let England go in behind them, so to speak. Uh, and I think that's probably going to define the the, the pattern or the, or, the, or the tempo of the game. Yeah, I hate to bring it back to team sheet gate, but Southgate said in his press conference just now that the team that everyone saw on that piece of paper that they presumed would be the team is in fact not the team. Now, either he's lying or there will be a change from that presumed lineup. And I think there's only really two options that can be, and that's either Danny Rose ahead of Ashley Young at left wing back or Sterling keeps his place ahead of Rashford. So that that will be an interesting one to 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 monitor tomorrow afternoon. Although Joe Cole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, over the days when that was the kind of clamour going into tournament. Um, but in terms of the game itself, I do... I mean, I actually wrote a piece earlier this morning, which I finished this morning, saying that the story of this World Cup has been, it's been very, very difficult for the big teams to put away the small teams. Then Belgium put five past Tunisia, who will be seeing England labour to that 2-1 win over at the start of the week, and you realise that maybe it's not as hard as we think. I do think that Panama... I mean, I do think it would be very tough. Panama were very good in, in the first half against Belgium. And it was only really when Merton scored that brilliant goal out of nowhere on about three minutes into the second half that they actually, that Belgium could find their way through. And I mean, I hate to bring it back to kind of former tournaments because you know, Southgate talks about a fresh start, but England are historically bad at this kind of game. Like there's one, as bad as, there's lots of different things that England are bad at, but I think breaking down a like dogged opponent who's trying to dig in is probably the thing that England are worst at. Even worse, at pe- even worse than we are at penalties. So Algeria. Yeah, I mean, the, the Algeria 0-0 is one of the worst games. I mean, I was reading up, up about it earlier. I think it's the worst I've ever seen England play. I mean, it's kind of, it's not, it's not as spectacular as, uh, Germany and Bloemfontein but in terms of like the it is like generally like games that are shit are forgettable but this was so shit that it became unforgettable yeah uh, like I will always remember that game like I think we created one chance in the first half and nothing in the second half remember I, 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 some step overs I, I, I honestly don't remember that game at all I mean it's one of those that just sort of um, that you can't you can't watch it but you also can't take your eyes off it um, it was quite Icelandy in that sense. Yeah, very much so. Um, or do you remember England nil, Slovakia nil at the Euros? Oh, I mean, God, yeah, that's yeah. a game which has been kind of completely dwarfed in the national memory because of Iceland, which happened like what five, four days after, five days after. And yeah, England were playing a slightly changed team because Hodgson made five or six changes. But we were so bad that day. Oh, terrific. Um, and it, and again, didn't create anything. Um, even like so, Trinidad in two thousand six. I think England create, had like basically one chance before Crouch scored in 83 minutes, a goal which should have been disallowed because he was climbing all over Brent Sancho at the far post. But, you know, that was another game. There's quite a lot of, like, cosmetic-level parallels with that. It's England's second match. It was very hot against a team from CONCACAF at their first World Cup who would be very motivated, even though we won't know any of the players. Um, and, yeah, like, I really... I know Southgate likes to talk up fresh start, but I... Like, that, that's... Well, like, one, that's not how life works... And two, I don't, you know, you can't really give this England team the benefit of the doubt. Like, you have to, I won't, be, I, I won't believe that England can, can win this game until I see it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'd say I'm, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the likeliest outcome is that England will win, but I think it will be a, a hot, ugly slog until then. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just chuck in the, the kind of the nil-nil against Egypt in 1990, which some of our yeah. older listeners might, might remember um, and, and probably feel a little bit older as a result of that. Um, 
I mean, just just one final thing. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, we, we obviously saw how Belgium beat Panama. Um, but apart from that, we've seen very few, uh, yeah, like, like you say, we, we've seen very few crushings. Um, compared to the other teams in the tournament, do we think that England have... Crushability? Crushability, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think England do have crushability because they have goal scorers. I think if England... They have goal, they have goal scorer. Yeah, they, yeah, they have goal scorer. Uh, and they have, I mean... I think when you have that much attacking talent... I mean, the one thing that we do have is attacking talent. Like, there's big question marks in the England team. But I think that going forward... I mean, all, all, all of England's best players are attacking players. And that's why I have this kind of confidence that if if we, if we England go 2-0 up, I think they could turn it into 4-0. Mm. But getting to 2-0 in the first place, I think, will be difficult. Mm. But that's, yeah. I, can see, like, I can see England pasting someone. I think just because they've got so many attacking players. I can't see it. I, I, that doesn't mean that they can't do it. But, I, <laughs> I mean, when was the last time England pasted anyone? I'm, I think of the 3-0 against, against Denmark in 0-2. And yeah, that's... we were talking about this earlier. Like, games that England have won in tournament by a margin... I mean, it's, there are hardly any games that England have won in the tournament by a margin of two goals. Right. Mainly the margin of three goals. You've got Denmark. Obviously, Holland 4-1 in 96. Yeah. Uh, Morocco in 86? Or was it Portugal? Uh, I wouldn't know without looking it up. Um, but yeah, like, there were kind of almost none. Like even at kind of you know good England tournaments, you know it's Italia ninety. I don't think they won a game by you know it's all an extra time. Belgium one 0 Cameroon three two in ninety six. Obviously there was the four one in. I mean ninety eight. Nothing stands out. Colombia. How many? There, what's that was that was two 0 Two 0 Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, it, I mean, it's something that we lack as a nation, really. May, maybe that'll be the fresh start, our first ever big win, if we can get there. But yeah. I, I do think it will be a, uh, like, not a fun game to watch until England score. It might get fun after that, but yeah. it's going to be it's going to be pretty hard going until then. Well, we, we I mean, the Tunisia game when when England broke the the shackle, you thought right early goal, and now Tunisia have to come forward a bit, and and obviously they they weren't going to shine doing that. So and and we thought well the flood floodgates might open. I think what Belgium have, have taught us is that when you have a purple patch, you've really got to make it count and 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 get two or three in there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Is the that's actually one of the lessons I think of the World Cup is that. And particularly in this heat, you can't expect to play well for 90 minutes. Like England's not going to play well for 90 minutes. And like you say, the mistake they made against Tunisia was not making the most of when they were playing well, which is why they had then had to score when they, were, when they weren't playing well, which is obviously much harder to do. So if England do have a spell tomorrow, and I'm sure they will do at some point, where they are creating chances and really got their, 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 their foot on the gas, that's when they have to, you know, they have to score two goals. Because if they don't do that, they'll regret it. All right. Um, we're, uh, so we're going to sign off now, and we're going to go off and explore the the delights of Nizhny Novgorod, um, which I think wasn't even... It was one of those Russian cities that wasn't even on the map until about until the end of the Soviet era because it, it, it was some it was like the centre of their, their new... Gorky. Yeah, it, it, it was called... Off the writer. Right. It was, it was, um, I've, got a, I've got a funny story about that, but it takes about five or six minutes. So I'm not going to tell it. Um, so, yeah, we're good. Um, so it, it was just... It wasn't on the map, literally, you know, wasn't like signposted to visitors... For, for about 50, 60 years. Um, much like is Dundee. That, is that Albert Riera? Al, Albert Riera, formerly of Liverpool and Manchester City, I think is doing punditry on Russian TV. Um, did he ever play in Russia? I knew he played in, like... He definitely played in Greece. Yeah, that is definitely Albert Riera. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Al- it is, Al- it is Albert Riera. I'm sorry. I'm going to take a photo of this so I can tweet it. But yeah. um, Ed, can you can you look up whether like when you when you do the pod, can you look up whether he's ever played in Russia or how he might know Russian? Um, because th- this is this is um, what well, is this a surprise? Yeah, I mean Albert Riera, an interesting player. He's kind of he's like one of the he kind of played for Spain before they were good. Played for City before they were good. Yeah, he was like a poor. Rubbish too. He was a, a poor hombre's bolo zenden, as I remember. Yeah, I, he, I think he actually, I think he's, his city career, I think was most significant. Because I think he, he scored the goals that got a Newcastle manager sacked when he was on loan at City. Could it have been Sam Sunas? Well, no, this, I mean, I think Riera was like oh seven oh eight time. Not at City. At City, he was under Kevin Keegan. I think he was at City, t- maybe two thousand four or five. Anyway, uh, I think we'll we will look this up, and on the next podcast, we will tell you exactly which Newcastle manager Albert Riera got sacked. But until then, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Like, share, subscribe. Over and out. Thank you, Jack and Johnny, who have, to be fair, taken care of England incredibly well over the last couple of days. Um. I think it's interesting, you know, I wrote about this on the website and you can obviously check that out at independent.co.uk slash football. Um, there is a chance that this Belgian result that, that you and I witnessed today, Miguel, really helps England because if England finished second in the group, they could potentially face... Um, okay, they have to face one of the Group H teams. Which, it's not heavyweight. It's not heavyweight. The, the group H, yeah, correct. The Group H team... The group H teams aren't necessarily heavyweights in world football mm. and then if you're second you play the winner of that group and then after that the winner of potentially Mexico who are now favourites for that group versus Switzerland Serbia whoever comes in that Brazil group uh, which means we have to talk about group F which we haven't mentioned yet um, the middle game of the day after Belgium Tunisia was South Korea versus Mexico and Mexico Having brushed aside Germany, and we were slightly worried that they wouldn't be able to repeat that performance. Mm. But against the Koreans, they did. It was a beautiful goal by Sun at the end. Um, but fundamentally, Mexico, once again, got it right. Yeah. They have some very, very they held scary a, attacking players. Also, they, held, they held their nerve. I think it's very important. They held their nerve. Because I think it's a big question in the second series of games where the big teams, Brazil, Germany, Spain, those didn't win. Like they were asked a question, can you step up? But the other side of the question was, those that did win their first games, Serbia, Mexico, can you actually hold your nerve? Serbia didn't, Mexico did. And I, it, it is a massive thing, I have to say. And the Mexicans, um, they, obviously they played in a different way as they did against Germany, because Germany was such a specific game plan. And as Juan Carlos Osorio said, you know, they thought that was six months. Mm. And... Against South Korea, that's more of an even game where they're thinking, okay, it's a, it's a different style of play, but we're a better side. And the front three have been absolutely excellent. Herving Lozano, Chucky Lozano, um, not only going forward, but he made two incredible tackles um, to basically save his side again. Chikorito scored um, what I guess was ultimately the decisive goal. Hector Herrera, who's been at Porto in midfield. I mean, 
that's the sort of player who might go under the radar a little mm. bit in terms of at the end of the tournament. But so far, I think he's been one of the best players in the group stage because he has anchored this Mexico midfield. He's allowed Andres Guardado to get forward and do his thing. He's allowed the front three to do what they've done, which is basically destroy every team they've come up against. Mm. And Mexico have really impressed. And then the late game was Germany-Sweden. And, I mean, we it. kind of expected Germany to you've come got, back. You've got to love it. it. They made a lot of changes. And then, what, first half? Out of nowhere. I mean, Marcus Berg mm. was through on goal. He was, I don't know how to describe it, except slaughtered from behind by Jerome Boateng, who would eventually see red. Nothing was given. Then... Eventually, Sweden go ahead through Ola Toivonen with what can... I mean, we can only describe it as, for a player of that quality, an absolute wonder strike. Yeah, uh, well, Norway was a bit of fault, maybe. No, absolutely not. He chests it down. The ball comes in, the, the cross comes in from the right, and, and he cushions it on his chest. Mm. The defender's all over him. And then, the, you know, the ball bounces. The only thing you can do there is lift it over the keeper. He lifts it perfectly over the on-rushing keeper, and Neuer has to come out. Like, what can Neuer do? Neuer can't stand... If Neuer stays on his line, Toivonen just hammers it home. He's got a lot of the goal to aim at. Neuer has to come out. He has to try and narrow the angle. Toivonen lifts it over him. It's a sensational finish. And you think, wow, Germany are actually going home. At half-time, it's 1-0. It's 1-0 it's one nil, it's one nil Sweden at half-time. And then, just after half-time, it was that Marco Royce scores the equaliser. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, fine. Germany going to come back and do this. Germany going to come back and do this. Well, I mean... We, we're, we're waiting. We were discussing it. We were watching it and we thought, like, uh, 60, 63 minutes. That was the bet, almost. That's the thing about went 3-1 Germany. And he didn't. Sweden hung on. And then you got 90th minute... And Tony Crows. I mean, to actually, the one thing I was thinking, I thought he would swing in for a cross, a perfect cross. But fuck me, you. I, I, I mean, I well, my thing is, I had a, I received a text message from um, a senior employee of our department who was at a Taylor Swift concert, and he asked what was going on in the football. And I said, "It's Germany one, Sweden one. Germany are basically screwed for the entire tournament." But it's, it's 90 plus 5, and the time is 94.15, I think it was. And Tony Cruz was standing over a free kick. And it was the absolute perfect set piece. He rolls it to, I don't know who was standing there with him. Mm. He rolls it a yard to the right. That player stops the ball dead. Cruz whips it, and it, with, with speed. So even if he miscues that, um, that ball could get deflected home. It might be headed home by one of his team. Either way, it's an absolutely perfect ball from that angle. And Robin Olsen, the FC Copenhagen keeper, who nearly joined Crystal Palace in January, he misses it by maybe a couple of inches. And weirdly, the Sweden defender actually like remonstrates with Ooh. with Robin Olsen afterwards and kind of asks why he didn't get it. That from Cruz was absolute magic. And in that moment. In that moment, it is a phenomenal piece of play, not only for the importance of it, but just the composure to execute that, the exceptional ability that he's shown, and he has 
let's be honest, resuscitated Germany, who were a team who were at that point, yeah. at that point, realistically going out of the competition. Well, he's given the lifeline, yeah, completely. Well, he's, he's completely saved them. And they would have been, I mean, a draw, they weren't technically out with a draw, but they were looking like the third consecutive uh, World Cup winners to go out at the group stage. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So, third consecutive, four out of five, that would have been, um, world champions to go out the group stage. But it uh, incredibly uh, came around. Sweden, I, I felt like they just dropped off too much. Even when uh, Boateng got sent off, which was probably about 15, 20 minutes to go, Sweden, Sweden got too passive. They got too passive and, and um, they let Germany completely dominate them. Something like seventy-five percent to twenty-five percent possession, even after Boateng got sent off, and uh, Germany made it count. That that cruise free kick was obviously fundamentally an incredible play from a, a player of, of, of immense quality. And you look at Real Madrid and you say, "Oh, they've won the Champions League the last three years without being outstanding." But some of the most outstanding players of this tournament so far, you've got Modric, uh, who has been brilliant for both Croatia games. You've got Cruz, who's come up huge for Germany in the moment that mattered. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who's come up massive for Portugal when it mattered. Diego Costa. Well, Diego Costa doesn't play for Real Madrid, but Diego Costa um, continues to barrel around doing what he does. Um, so it, w- it was a massive day um, because in Group G, you look at Belgium and you think they've got to be favourites to top Group G, but... You know, as the guy said earlier about England, England, England could put seven past Panama and it wouldn't surprise you, but they equally could struggle and draw nil-nil. Um, in Group F, where South Korea and Mexico played off earlier on, South Korea is still in it, just, despite Sun Heung-min's tears at the end of that game. If South Korea beat Germany, they can qualify uh, in their final game. Mexico need a draw against Sweden, go through Sweden, absolutely have to win. So Group F... Uh, the final games in Group F, which if I double-check where they're going to be... Yeah. So Mexico-Sweden's in Ekaterinburg on Wednesday. South Korea-Germany in Kazan. Uh, those games are actually going to be incredibly exciting. But uh, we're focused on Group G now, where on, on Sunday England will play Panama at lunchtime, and I'm sure you'll be watching. Um, anyone who is listening to this podcast before that, credit to you because it's Sunday morning. And uh, we really appreciate your uh, commitment. But Group H, Japan play Senegal and Poland play Colombia. Uh, this group is, is wide open. Uh, no one expected Japan to beat Colombia in the opener. Obviously, the red card completely changed that game. And then Senegal beat Poland. Uh, so, Japan play Senegal, there's two teams with a win. And Poland play Colombia, knowing that the loser of that game goes out. You would have expected, I guess one of Poland or Colombia to be fighting for qualification when it came to the end of, of Group H. Yes, completely. Um, well, you know, Colombia can still get six points. They, like, it's very easy they can do it. They've got to turn it on. It's an, it's an open group. Yeah. So, so Colombia, it wouldn't surprise you if Colombia won their last two games. Well, I, I think Poland will do it. I, 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 I think Colombia can still turn around. I mean, with James, if James is fully fit now, which we expect he is... Um, Juan Fernando Quintero obviously was, was class of the day they've got Falcao they've got Colombia have the most quality in this group but that doesn't necessarily win out as we saw I mean Poland-Colombia is a late game and that is a genuinely 
really intriguing game. Japan-Senegal at six is an enormous clash. I think Japan, they have three points in the bag, but they had 85 minutes against 10 men of Colombia. And while they were smart enough to maximise that, I don't think Japan are that good a side, whereas Senegal against Poland showed um, they can be dangerous in the attack, they can show they can be solid in defence, and they've got a decent support. So uh, Japan-Senegal, if you were going to pick a winner, who would you go for? Senegal. Senegal. Uh, personally, for me, as I say, I've, I picked them as my dark horse at the start of the tournament. I like Senegal. Sadio Mane, Balde Keita... Um, the midfield is really, really strong um, in defence. Kalidou Kudubai, they've got Sané back there as well. I like where that's going. Um, and, you know, one of these teams is going to be playing England in the second round, should England qualify. So, uh, it's worth keeping an eye on them. But there's no one here that so far that I've seen that I think is particularly special. I think Group H could be... Aside from Group A, which is Russia, Egypt, Uruguay, Saudi Arabia, I think Group H could be the weakest group. Um, yeah. And I know from talking to a couple of international coaches that that is not uh, an opinion that only I hold. So it'll be interesting to see, but um, either way, uh, next time we talk to you, England will either be you know, on the road to glory or um, I imagine half of London will have burnt down. So uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow which is Sunday night and uh, we'll review we'll review England's game which uh, 3pm England Panama I mean it's a perfect weather weekend in in, back in London from what I understand England Panama at 1pm UK time you can have a terrific afternoon um, have a barbecue you know relax enjoy yourself have a couple of Diet Cokes and then uh you know, you wake up on Monday, you go to work, and you listen to the podcast on the way there. So uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. But until then, um, it's been the Indie Football Podcast in association with Paddy Power. Um, take care of yourselves. Uh, as ever, rate, subscribe, review the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you on Monday.